a bit, bit soulless trying coming into the um, to the exchange here signing, but um, one has to do it, and um, the hope is like that. Um, you know, people keep themselves busy and working at home and things like that, you know, in the garden or now at this time of the year, but um, in the winter time it can be pretty boring. When you've worked for a quarter of a century as a designer in a shipyard, it's um, a very a very strange thing to have to come down and um, collect what you, what you get here every week. I could accept, uh, I could accept being out of work if I knew that I would have a job or that there's a possibility of a job, say, even within six months. I can't see any particular future for me. I've applied for quite a lot of jobs. It's like this uh, application forms and interviews as long as me are, and nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, it's bad, it's very bad. There don't seem to be anything doing, no work. We're um, unemployed since the dockyard closed down. A lot of people are ashamed to be on the dog queue and try and get down early in the morning and this sort of thing, you know, and beat the rush. But um, the town is getting used to it, you know. The final closure of Verome Dockyard last November was the most severe of a long series of economic blows felt by the town of Cove in recent years. Situated on the Great Island in Cork Harbour, Cove has a long maritime tradition and had also been well placed to take advantage of the economic changes in Ireland in the 60s and 70s. But equally, as an industrial town, it has since suffered the full brunt of recession, with most of its major industries either closed or reduced in size. And the latest wave of redundant dockyard workers will soon be joining the already swollen ranks of the long-term unemployed. Like if you're a long time on the dole, people look down, you know, and I mean, your kids mightn't have the best of gear on them, like. They're clean and they're well fed, like, well, barely well fed. Sometimes you might go hungry just to feed them. But uh, people look down, you like. They're an outcast. That effort is on the door now a long time. He's a waster, he's an idler. But um, it's definitely depressing. I'm amazed, isn't it? There's not suicides going on, mass suicides. There will be eventually mass suicides, or not to that extent, but breakdowns in families and marriages, the whole lot, because I pity these chaps that came out of there. Uh, Came out and had done the scene the dockyard, no one place like that. I stayed in a watch space. I was laid off from Verome Dockyard um, last October, which was approximately six months ago. And uh, since then, I've uh, missed the fact of that I haven't got constant work. And apart John from and Jane uh, have two children. Their current pay related entitlement is £102 per week. My car had to go anywhere. There's no doubt about that. I just couldn't keep up the payments, especially with the price of petrol, insurance, etc. Food-wise, we've cut back, you know, luxuries and things like that. I think twice now about picking up a packet of biscuits and things like that, and the sweets I've cut down for the kids. What about entertainment? Uh, well, I don't go out now very much, you know, maybe once a month. Well, I have my few pints, I suppose, which I've always been accustomed to. And um, I reckon it's just a matter of cutting your class to your measure, as simple as that. What's it like being at home so much now and having so much time on your hands? Well, it's a completely new ball game to me because uh, we've been married now over ten years and uh, I've always been out working. And uh, normally, to me, when my working day finished, I came home at a certain time and... 
my wife was there, my dinner was there, my kids were there and things like that. And um, whereas now I uh, find myself bringing my kids to school, bringing them from school, doing things, chores that a woman would normally do in the house, which my wife should be very thankful for, I might add. <laughs> but apart from that... Um, I find it, uh, I miss the camaraderie, if you like, of the lads at work, you know, the, the crack, the, um, let's put it this way, um, it's very hard to explain really unless you're in that situation yourself, but at home I find it at times is boring, it can be very boring. And when he's at home all day long and naturally the kids get more attention and, um, well I suppose I get more attention too. <laughs> Uh, in the next week or two now I'll be down to uh, I'll be reduced by about 20 or 30 quid and I'll be allowed I suppose after 15 or 16 weeks I think I'll be down another couple of pounds so we say after about 10 months of me being on the dole I'll be down to my basic minimum which is about for a wife and two children is something in the region of 70, 75 pounds well, there's also um, a videotape recorder and a pretty nice stereo set in this room. Did you buy that out of your redundancy? Oh, I did indeed, yes. How do you react to people who say that uh, when you're made redundant you shouldn't buy a videotape recorder or you shouldn't spend your money on things like that? I think that's only bullshit. Because uh, these are things that I was always without. Now that I had the money to spend on it, I decided that, well, if I never had it, well, I'm going to have it now. But you will actually suffer when it comes to getting the free doll, won't you? Because you have invested your money in the way you've invested it. Well, I've heard tell people they have been assessed and people have told them from the Department of Social Services like that they'll have to get rid of their television set or their video or whatever and they can live off the proceeds. Otherwise, they're not liable. You know, they won't get their um, free doll. I think that's an appalling situation. Well, you got redundancy money from the dockyard. Was that taken into account when you were being assessed? It was, yeah. But uh, at the time, you say, it was all gone, like, so... But if I, uh, there was a lot of people who had money left from the redundancy and were told to kind of come back when uh, the redundancy money was gone. So they made, they made sure you'd spent it all, first of all? Well, yeah, basically they did, yeah. I don't think it's right that um, people that um, are, have invested it, invested it wisely, are being penalised by um, having to... Uh, um, we say, account for what um, interest they get on it and um, it, it affects them if, if, they're, if they have to apply for the unemployment assistance. Yeah. It affects the amount that they get or even if a man was old enough that he was going on, uh, on pension, it would affect the amount of pension he'd get and that to me is all wrong. So you might be better off spending the lot as quick as well, you can? If the, if the man went away and uh, did, did nothing positive with it and he drank it, He's, he'd uh, end up, uh, when he comes to looking for unemployment assistance, that uh, he'd probably get it straight away. And what did he do? He just um, drank it inside in the pub. I say I have another three or four months to go yet now before I go on to Freedol, you see. Yeah. And I'll get somebody up to my house then to assist me, see what I've done with my money and see what I have. And Are, you, are you worried about that? Oh, I am. Totally worried about it. Because yeah. I have a wife and three, four kids, yeah. you know, and what are you supposed to live on? If you haven't spent your redundancy money, you'll be told you're not as enti entitled to as much toll, is that That's right? True, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Well, they'll check out where your money is gone, and if you have so much money in, your bank, in the bank or wherever you've invested, they'll uh, assess what you have, and they'll tell you how much you're entitled to then, and that's it. So it's in your interest now to have all your redundancy money spent, is that right? Oh, it is, of course, yeah. It yeah. is, yeah. But then what do you do when your money is gone? You have nothing, and... Yeah. 
you know. Does you that seem to, wrong to you that you should? Oh, it does, of course. I think it's terribly wrong. Yeah. Terribly wrong, I think. Well, you're an electrician, and um, you would be able to earn money from time to time. Well, the thing is that if if you're caught doing work outside the exchange, you're caught. If you're caught by the exchange doing, you know, as we call them, foxers, you'll be uh, you'll be sent. You know, a lot of people send the court over it, and right. the redundancies are there. Uh, the whole money is stopped in, and and that's it. You can't actually go away doing foxes or mm. or anything like that. But as one's dole entitlement gets lower, the temptation to occasionally take a day's work is great, despite the risks of being caught. One man who, understandably, wasn't willing to be identified, told me his story. I've been unemployed five years, and uh, I've been foxing on and off most of the five years. Eh? You mean you've been taking other jobs from time to time? Yeah, always saying in the door as well, eh? Mm-hmm. And do you feel that that's dishonest? Not at all. It's part of the game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We can't get jobs because if 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 the employers know at the moment if they take a fill off the door, they won't pay them a proper wage. They'll um, you're working for nothing, half nothing. Whereas if you if you get an offer of a job on the door, the sign and the fox at the same time, it pays more. Can you describe to me? What sort of trouble you got into with the social welfare inspectors? Well, like I say, like with unemployment being so high, and when they know that an area, when they, when they see an area with so much unemployment, the place is flooded straight away with inspectors. With the dockyard closing down now, um, and the steel is on the brink of it, um, Marathon closed down, so they naturally flood the area, like. so then you get uh, informers, Writing letters and telegrams and how do you mean informers? Well, the people, I suppose, that are just jealous. Most of these people are either retired or fellas who don't want to work long term on the door, and they're just jealous, so they go in and hang us. Say, and you mean that they tell the welfare inspectors <coughs> that you're working and signing? They do, yeah. Uh, phone calls, letters mostly, and um, naturally, then the inspectors will approach you on these issues. Eh? And has this happened to you? Plenty of times, yeah. What happened? Yeah, you're usually called into the office. Well, the first time, though, I was approached. These two guys in the car pulled up outside my house and uh, told me to hop into the car, like. So I asked them for identification. I mean, they could have been just... I know, they could have been special branch that night, no matter what. So they showed me the identification, took me into the car, showed me all these files and things and reports that they had on me and said that I was working and saying at the same time. And naturally, I denied it, like. They had no proof. All they had was the word of an informer. And um, I'd like to say too that these informers are getting paid £50 to go for it. But that must cause a lot of bad feeling in the town, doesn't it? Uh, Paying people to act as spies, if you like. Yeah, well, it does, of course, because uh, a few fellas in the town have been brought to court and found, uh, have been found guilty, and uh, have been massive fines uh, put on them, and and they've been uh, blocked off the dole for, say, it is six months, you know, so you're blocked off the dole. So that means then that they have a way from kids to keep it. You go down to the the men in, in, the, in the social welfare and he hands you out 40 or 50 quid to keep away from kids, eh? I mean, you can't survive on that, can you? You've been unemployed on and off for about five years mm-hmm. now, so you must be gone on to the long-term assistance at this stage, yeah. which is something an awful lot of dockyard workers, for example, are fearing when, when, they, when their first year is up. Can you describe to me what that involves going on to the free dole? Well, um, first of all, there's, uh, this guy calls your door is, is to assess you, right? And that's the most embarrassing thing of the whole act, like. Now, the day he called to me, actually, five years ago, say, four and a half, five years ago, 
he calls up to the door and uh, he just knocks on the door, says who he is. Well, you're told beforehand that he's coming and they ask you to try and stay in. So that means you could be standing for a month, like this, and never in time. So he was in, I was watching the telly, there was racing on, and she was just Cheltenham or somewhere. As it happened, I had a couple of five bob doubles and five bob triples done. He came in, I was smoking, I was watching the telly, colour television, eh? which is a luxury. And uh, he says to me, Oh, you have a colour television? You could, why don't you get a black and white one? I said, Well, I want my The doll officer said this to you. I said, hey, well, It's none of your business. I said, What kind of a television head? I said, hey, My kids want to watch telly, they give you other kids. I said, They like colour television. I said, I said, I pay for it. I tried to pay for it. I can barely pay for it. I'm getting on the door. He said, I see you smoke. He says, Do you smoke a lot? Stupid questions, I just say. In other words, I give you hinting that I should cut down on fags, eh? which I mean, they would give, have to give me less than the door. So I had a wife and two kids, eh? so he turns around, looked around the house, television, asked me if any money in the bank. That was a joke. So um, in the end, anyway, he just kind of started embarrassing me, and I just thought to take a hike. So he went away about three or four weeks later. I went back down to the door office and they said it, you get £60 a week. That's what the assessor says. Now I had a wife, kids, £19 a week rent to pay, a wife and two kids to keep. And she said, I ask you £60 a week. Would you blame any man for foxing or for doing nixes? I spoke to another couple who have been on free dole for some time. Can I ask you how long your husband's been out of work? Four years this May. He's out of work. And you have how many children? Nine children. So how much, can I ask you then, how much are you living on in a, in a week? £110 a week. This will keep them living of us, like, 110 So how does that work out for you? How, what, how do you spend it? I'm paid in Thursday night, broke Thursday night, between the bills and coal and trying to dress the children, like, and things, and a bit of food. My grocery bill is usually £55.60. That's just for groceries alone. My meeting could be another £20. So I said, if that, that's £70 before you start. I've only taught you to get a few bills paid and try and do something with it, like, you know. What bills do you find are the most difficult ones to pay? What what bill do you fear for most? Oh. Well, I have a few Jewmen coming to me, like, you know, and trying to pay them every week, and mostly the rent or else to, you know, try and get a bag of coal and things. You just don't have enough, really, like... When you say Jewmen, can you explain that to me? Well, you know, the callers that comes there that I get some clothes off by the week and them people like that, they come once a week, like, you know, to give them five or ten pound a week, like, you know. You mean money lenders? No, just, cl- you know, you buy clothes and things. I have money lender as well, like, and I give them eighteen pound a week back. That's when I went to get something, like, if the kids are for confirmation or communion or anything like that, like, you know, I borrow to try and dress them. And can you tell me, for example, how much you would borrow and how much you've had to pay? Well, if we got a loan of 100, no, I'd have to give back 130 at £6 a week. If you get 100, if you get 200, you have to pay back £12 a week, and that's 260 you pay back. And these moneylenders, are they local? No, they're from Cork City, like, you know. Have you ever not been able to pay back at the rates that they want? No, it is a case I have to give it to well, I mean, £6 a week is all right. You can manage it, but you'd have to leave something else go to pay for it, like, you know. Mm. It's like you pay them, you leave, forget about getting a bag of coal or something, like, you know. Mm. I'll get me groceries and things first, and then I'll see whether if I don't have the full amount, I'll just give them half, and that's that. Like, you just have to give them half, and they'll have to do with it. There's nothing else you can do about it, like, you know. Mm. But they seem to be all right. I've had no trouble with them or anything, like, you know. They just give them half, and that's that. Yeah. 
Have what about electricity bills then? My electricity bills they're dear enough too at the moment. They'll be after me soon. Mm. I have a big electricity bill this time, it's a hundred and thirty pound like, you know. So that's coming up now soon too, so you go from square one like you have to probably start borrowing again to pay that back. Have you ever had a part time job or your husband since his unemployment? No. I went out picking potatoes all right in the summer with the kids to try and get a few back. He'd stay, he'd mind the kids didn't account in case he'd get caught in the door he wouldn't do it like I see I suppose entertainments and having a good time has long since gone gone all together really I might go out a favourite dark game I might go out for a night but that's all that's late when we go out in, like. yeah. but to go to a dance or anything like that I haven't seen a dance for four years and probably be another four years before I see another one well, how old is your el- elder, are your eldest children now? Fifteen is my eldest, the next is twelve, mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and how do they get by then? You mustn't be able to give them very much pocket money. Well, I can't give them any. That's the point. They just, if they want to go somewhere, like you try and give them a few bob, but that's very seldom. They don't go to discos or anything because I can't afford it. Then eldest one, I might go down to my sister's for a weekend, but that's about all, like, you know. I just can't afford to leave them go to discos our pictures they're too dear and do they understand that well thank god they do like they'd be potent for a while like but after that they get over it like but you feel guilty yourself that you can't give it to if i can ask your husband um well what's your what's your own feeling there i'm getting used to it now i'm doing a bit of gardening now i can walk around the island you know kind of a Can't very well go down, down the town only you're nine yourself like you've no money in your pocket. You know what I mean? You can't go into a pub, you can go in all right. Drink a bottle of lemonade, I suppose. Mm. Might get lucky with the horses. It's a world recession. Seems to come every 30 or 40 years, so I don't know. I'm just born the wrong time, maybe. So what chance is there of things getting better? Michael Whelan is a diver who makes his living through securing offshore servicing contracts. On a 40-foot steel boat that he and his company, Celtic Sea Divers, salvaged from the sea bottom, we took a trip across Cork Harbour, where he gave me his own views on the future economic prospects of the area. Okay, Michael, well, we're, we're out here in the middle of the harbour now. Um, can you describe to me, well, what's around us? Over on the right-hand side, you've got the deep water key area, which is presently being used for the export of timber. Uh, in my opinion, it's not the most desirable cargo to have out of the harbour. Nonetheless, I suppose it's keeping the key going. Cove, having had, had the tradition of the liners here in the, the early days, uh, Cove could certainly have been used, and the deep water key could have been utilised for like B&I and the Brittany Ferries is just coming in behind us there now at the moment. She oh, could yeah. have certainly operated. I see, the, the Brittany Ferry, yeah. yeah. She'll dock at Ringeskiddy up the river from us. We'll, be, we'll go in there later. Right. The, they have just commenced uh, the, the new jetty at Ringeskiddy, uh, which should be completed in about two years' time. Uh, we've been told by the minister during the week that it's going to be um, uh, get its free port status mm-hmm. uh, before Easter. I think that will probably go ahead. But I think it's very important that... Uh, the deep water key area, or perhaps Romy Dockyard, 
should be included in that uh, free port status if it's going to be developed. Yeah, that's the, um, the ferry boat, the spike now just parting by the wall there. That's, oh, the that's Spike Island there, isn't it? That's Spike Island, yeah, the ferry boat's going alongside at the moment. Um, that's the new prison for the joyriders when they when they arrive. They're supposed to be arriving here next week sometime. Uh-huh. You can just see the, the dockyard is coming into view there now. Yeah, the cranes in the dockyard are in view there now, and the, the floating docks. It's a bit of a shame to see it shut down and left like that. Mm -hmm. uh, some of our finest ships were built here, and some overseas ships like the Jacob Fleet. They had some very fine ships built there. But I'm afraid it's all gone now and uh, I can't see it coming back, and not certainly in our lifetime. It does look very sad, doesn't it? Though? Yeah, I think uh, the, the government should uh, seriously consider at this point in time mm. to segregate the yard and put it into private enterprise. Yes. Uh, it has, there is a future for ship repair and I think that was proved just recently when one of the offshore supply vessels uh, had its major overhaul uh, carried out by a local company right. at the, the floating dock. Right. There is definitely a tremendous future because the type of industries we've just spoken about and ship repair and offshore supply and maintenance, there is you know, a, a number of very young people, very highly skilled and qualified, uh, trained by Varomi Dockyard, unemployed here at the moment and they would certainly be re-employed mm -hmm. and I think that is, that's very, very important to the entire area. Yeah, just inside us there now is uh, Maritime Industries, that's another very fine yard, it, had, it built some very, very fine fishing trawlers in the last nine is or ten years. Is it closed now or is it? Well, it's been shut down for the last three, three and a half years, the place is for sale or for rent now. Again, another place that uh, was a tremendous loss to Cove, there was 120, 130 people employed there, and again, the bulk of those people were uh, very highly skilled people, shipwrights, engineers, turners, fitters, just the calibre of person that was, that's been laid off in the dockyard last November. And along with out-of-work apprentices, students in the local vocational school are also worried about their job prospects. Hi, can I, can I ask you what you're working at there? Um, a project for um, the leaving engineering. There's three parts. There's the theory part, um, the practical on the day, and a project which you have a couple of months to make. And you have to file out a report on it as well. What is it you're making then? Uh, wind and anomaly, hopefully. <laughs> what will that do? Um, measure the speed of wind when it's finished. And, um, well, you're facing your leaving cert in another two months. Um, how do you feel about your job prospects now, coming from that? Um, it's not very good. The dockyard is after closing down. and um, My father's unemployed. He was in the dockyard as a metal fabricator, but closed down, so he's gone. And my brother's in the Irish Steel, and he has had his protective notice for the last week. So it's not looking too happy for you? <laughs> no. What do you think you're going to do? Will you go on to third level or will you emigrate or what will you do? Um, hopefully, NACE apprenticeships, but six or seven thousand others are hoping for it as well. So probably go to the regional college with most of the, of the lads in the class because there's nowhere else to go. Things are uh, very bleak at the moment, especially around this area. You have the dockyard now. It looks as though that will never open again. It'll probably be the gear out there will probably be auctioned off and that will be the end of it and Irish Steel got their final warning there now if they don't make a profit this year then they'll shut down and you have Fords and Dunlops they're all gone. Is it difficult to motivate yourself to study for a leaving cert when, when your job prospects are so difficult? Yes it's uh, very difficult 
in fact you have to psych yourself up really um, when you go home there especially during the spring and summer months now when the sun is shining and you're watching your friends out playing soccer and that it's very hard to go up to the room and get the head down you know and you say to yourself well what am I doing this for when really I'll probably be unemployed when I finish school you feel why bother if you're just going to end up on the dole queue anyway you know you feel there's no point sometimes and do you think you will sooner or later end up on the dole queue I think eventually, yeah, I will. What about your, your friends um, who have stayed at the Leaving Cert last year? What's happened to them? Well, most of them have gone to the regional college, but there's a couple that are unemployed, and um, some of them have gone to England, and they're just doing um, labour, working on building sites and that, trying the doll. I think if you're educated, well, you know, I mean, it's your own education, and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you get a job or if you don't, like, I mean, you're still educated, and nobody can take that from you. Anyway, the more work you do and the better results you get, as far as I can see, you have a much better chance of getting the few jobs that are around. And I, have, I think I have something to work for because I, I'm very hopeful that things will improve soon and hopefully by the time I'm finished they will have improved a great deal. John Healy, you're Vice-Principal of the Vocational School here in Cove. The Leaving Cert students I've spoken to this morning, a number of them say they feel it's important that they do well in their Leaving Cert to at least get ahead in the jobs market. A number of them have also said they often feel, why bother, that it's not going to lead to anything. Do you think that the recession, as it affects a town like Cove, does actually make the teaching job more difficult and more difficult to motivate students? Yes, I, I, th- I think uh, pupils require some outside body or outside force to motivate them. In other words, if they are not, uh, they don't see their their prospects as being bright to get a job, well then uh, there is no real reason that they should work hard and make an effort to get a leaving cert. So how does that affect your work or the work of your teachers in the classrooms? uh, As of now, it hasn't really affected us, but we can uh, detect an underlying uh, trend that this, in the future, if it continues, if the recession continues, that it will certainly, uh, we'll have pupils who will be slightly uh, troublesome, I suppose, to, to put it mildly. It must be very hard living in a home environment where a number of people, possibly the head of the household, the father, and older brothers and sisters have no work to go to. Even a very simple thing like getting up in the morning, if you were a pupil and you were the only person leaving the house in the morning, that is difficult. Uh, it, 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 the work ethic doesn't appear to be in that house, so therefore, uh, when you come to school, what's the, the this is the pupil's way reasoning of it? Why work hard? Because uh, my father and my brothers and my sister have they have no work, so why do I work hard? At it? Tom Hughes, you're the adult education officer here in the vocational school in Cove. Um, how do you think unemployment has affected adult education? Are there more people studying, or how has it affected adult education? Well, the, the trends in recent years have been towards a drop in numbers attending night classes, uh, which is disappointing in a way, considering the fact that you'd expect that people would be inclined to um, better themselves in the current circumstances. The one um, thing contrary to that would be in relation to computer classes. There certainly has been uh, a growing demand for our uh, classes in computers, uh, both at beginners and continuation level. I served my time as a fitter and on completing that I went on to just getting work wherever I could leave, which wasn't very much. So, um, and are you unemployed now? Yeah, at the moment, yes. I completed an anchor course there in welding 
recently like so it's just going from one course to another you know just to keep time occupied like more than anything so I so what about the computer course is, is that just keeping time occupied no well I hope to try and make a, some shape of a career out of it if I could like because I think you have to have an alternative with means of employment now you know you can't rely on one job or one trade alone like I'm doing a secretarial course so the shorthand typing bookkeeping and all those and computers computers and word processing yeah. I think I could end up emigrating <laughs> like like a lot of others have done I suppose from here but um, if I could get a job in Cove naturally like I'd stay yeah. but I doubt it my dad is unemployed and he was in the dockyard what do you think about your employment prospects do you think you'll be able to get a job with what you're doing here well I hope to but there isn't many jobs around at the moment you know mm-hmm. there's not much you know especially in secretariat jobs there's not many around you know so do you think it's as hard for women to get jobs as it is for men? Oh, it is very hard, yeah. How about your friends? Are there many of them out of work? Well, some of them got jobs, all right, but they're being laid off at the moment, you know. From where? Um, Little Island. They make sausages and um, all stuff like that. And if passing the time of day is a problem when you're unemployed, then one of the answers found by people in Cove is to play music. There's a remarkable number of pubs there that have live music regularly, ranging from rock and roll to folk to Irish traditional. Well, in Cove there are a lot of sessions going on and there are all gigs that are being paid for, you know. And uh, I think it's the only thing that will bring people out for bit of money that they have. Like you're playing here yourself tonight, are you unemployed, do you mind me asking? Yeah, yeah, I'm unemployed now, but I'm just playing for... So you have plenty of time for music at the moment? Yeah, I have too much time for music, I mean, I have no time for working. <laughs> That's the way it is, no? <laughs> how about you, Mick, playing the, the, the banjo there? Um, are, you, are you one in three that's working, or, how are, you, or are you unemployed as well? Yeah, I'm unemployed, yeah, at the moment. Where were you working? I was working for a company in Cork up until about two years ago and I was laid off. So just playing music ever since. I said with all the people that are kind of unemployed and that there, a lot of people have turned to music they mightn't have, you know. What were you working at when you were working? Uh, it was civil engineering, technician, uh, construction work. And as you know, that's under the wane at the moment. The, um, can I ask you what kind of pipes that is you're playing? The Yilin pipes, Irish Yilin pipes. Yeah. And have you been playing them for long? Um, about three years now. It's the end of my third year. Right. Okay, this is one, two, three, the fourth person I've spoken to. Can I ask you if you're employed? I'm not, as of this evening, <laughs> I'm unemployed. What happened? Well, I was only doing temporary work, secretary for the past six months, mm-hmm. so finished up then this evening. So what will happen to you now? What will you be doing? I don't know, just keep trying for something else, something permanent. Yeah. Can I ask you where you were working? I was in the school here in town, secondary school. Well, I'm hoping to get a job, but in the meantime, while I'm waiting, keep going on the pipes. Plenty of time to practice. Right, yeah. very good. <laughs> Thank you. And for other unemployed people, there are other solutions to occupying your time. Patrick Martin was chief naval architect at Verome Dockyard for 25 years. Uh, I get up every morning at 
very much the same time as I did, half past seven, seven o'clock, half past, and I, I, I made a sort of office, and I, I'm usually sitting at a desk at eight o'clock in the morning, or half past eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. Exploring the possibilities for new work, I suppose? Uh, yes, I'm doing that, but I, you also do a lot of reading to try and keep up to date. I mean, you don't see all the shipbuilding journals and periodicals that you used to, and... Uh, you get hold of what you can now and keep keep reading, keep abreast of what's going on, read Lloyd's List every day and um, mm. keep up with the whole shipbuilding and shipping scene. Do you ever fear, though, that it'll all, it will all be in vain, that uh, you won't ever get back into designing ships again or in the shipping scene again? Well, you have, uh, you have a lot of moments of um, uncertainty and doubt and uh, you feel a bit despondent sometimes, but you have to try and push that to one side and battle on in an effort to try and get something off the ground again. Other people have done it. We'll keep trying to do it. And for unemployed men with young families, parenthood now takes up a lot of their attention. I was a carpet designer. And you were made unemployed when? Uh, February 1983. Well, can you describe to me now how, you, how you're living? Well, I do um, the domestic uh, work, really. I mean, I do the cooking and the uh, house cleaning and... Uh, Mm-hmm. Whatever has to be done, really, yes, mm-hmm. at home, you know. Right. And your wife is working? My wife is working, yeah. And do you mind that no, role no. reversal? No, I don't, really. It's, uh, in a way, it's an advantage for me because I, I do a bit of painting. and um, I can see that around your house. I'm, um, I have my own time to, to fit things in and to paint, you know. Mm-hmm. These paintings all around the walls, they're your own work, are they? All, all my own work, yeah. Right. Well, who are you preparing lunch for there at the moment? Well, I, I'm preparing lunch for the uh, children and uh, my wife. They'll be in. Uh, they, they come in soon now for, at lunchtime. I cook the dinner at lunchtime. L- Normally, lunchtime, you can see a lot of fathers collecting children. These are unemployed men? Unemployed then? people, I'd say, yeah. Collecting yeah. the children from school. Which is a, a thing you wouldn't have seen a few years ago, you know. Can I ask you, you're here to collect your children, are you? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Right, and um, do, you, do you often do that, uh, um, it's become part of my daily routine. It's as much as getting up in the morning to bring them down here and collect them at lunchtime. It's part the, of the routine. This is since you've become unemployed, is it? In the last four months. Can you tell me about that? Um, well, the initial blow of, of becoming unemployed was uh, quite dramatic, quite traumatic. Um, a dockyard worker, were you? Yes, uh, for 13 years. Um, it's meant a dramatic change in lifestyle. Um, one no longer has the, the motivation to get out of bed and do exactly the same things on a, on a day-by-day basis. So you're looking after the children then a lot of the time now, are you? Um, yeah, pretty much so. Yeah. What's that been like? Um, partly enjoyable. Yeah. Sort of frustrating, and it gives a good insight into a, into a woman's role in the house, most definitely. Um, I've had time to enjoy my kids in the last couple of months, which I haven't been yeah. able to do to, yeah. to this extent. But uh, nonetheless, it's still I think it's quite unsettling for the children, as much as it is for myself and my wife as well. Yeah. But not all families see more of each other because of recession. Emigration is already an option being taken up by jobless school leavers, and sadly it is also now an option for married men, whose alternative to the dole is to take contract work abroad, away from home for months at a time. Yeah, I'm just answering that there for uh, senior instructors in Zambia, for electrical instructors in a mining company in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Two-year contract. Um, not, to, not to make money enough... Not to be come back a millionaire or to be very wealthy or to retire, so just enough to keep the wolf in the door, to put carpets on the floor to keep to pay bills. It's, it's definitely something that, that I wouldn't look forward to doing, but I'll have to do it. My child was one week old when I left home. My second child was one week old when I had to go abroad. 
So it was, it was tough for my wife, it was tough for myself, tough for the kids. But it's the only place I could, I could make money to secure the family for another year or two, you know? The, the particular situation I was in it was very remote, very, very quiet, no nightlife, no social life whatsoever. You work, you sleep, and that was it. Day in, day out. You had no break. It was all men there, was it? All men, yes, totally. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Bernie? How do you feel about Mick having to go abroad now? Oh, I'd hate him to go abroad again. I thought it was awful the first time. I was just home from hospital two days after having a new baby. So I was left with the two babies. It was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And away for 12 weeks and only home for 10 days. It was awful hard. Mm-hmm. And the wife at home, you know. Can I ask you both, I mean, is it difficult to keep up a romance when you're six months apart from each other? Um, I suppose it is, but I mean, it's, it's like a honeymoon when he comes home again, you know? <laughs> you know, the only thing is that it's hard, like, but I mean, you kind of appreciate each other more, I think, you know, when he's away for so long, you kind of appreciate him more than when he comes home, and I suppose he finds the same, you know? You're smiling anyway. <laughs> Well, I was out of work for, say, three years leading up to this year. And uh, the money I was receiving at the labour exchange wasn't uh, sufficient to keep a family. So I decided um, to ring up my old company and I said they had a job. And what's your trade? Electrician. And uh, as there are about five or six hundred electricians out of work in Cove, or in Cork and Cove. There wasn't much uh, prospect here, so I went to South Africa for five months. OK, well, was it a hard decision to make to have to leave uh, and to leave your family? Oh, it was. I'll never forget it. But it was necessary. Did you write a lot to each other? We did, yes. You wrote quite a lot, and it was, um, you know, it was the first time, actually, that we had written to another ever, you know, mm-hmm. or that we'd been parted, really. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting in that yeah. sense that, you know, to find out how we really felt about one another... I have a host, as I say, that that's my responsibility. Family is a responsibility, so the only alternative... You have to make money to meet your commitments, and the only alternative is to, is to go abroad. How would your wife feel about you leaving? Well, I, she would, I think, accept that this is also just an alternative, but uh, realistically looking at it, it, it's bound to put a strain on, on, on relationships, and plus the fact you're missing out on your child's... Uh, Development. You're not there to watch him grow, you know. So I mean, all around, it is a very disturbing, disturbing thing. Okay, I, from my previous experience, I know quite a lot of contracting people, and uh, this is people who've travelled from abroad for months at a time. Who travel regularly? You know, they don't work within their own country as such. They travel to many other countries. And uh, in my own personal opinion, I would say each and every one of them have uh, have family problems. It seems to be a result of the of the lifestyle they have to lead. No, you watch, but your front foot is against the mast and the back foot is behind the centreboard. Or in your case, actually, it's in front of the centreboard. Sailboarding instructor Eddie English is also chairman of Cove Tourism. Well, I think tourism and recreation are the main things that have a future for Cove in that Cove originally was designed as a resort town and now I think it's coming through in that tourism is again taking its rightful place in the economy of the town. And, well, as you know, Cove was one of the industrial centres of Ireland until five or six years ago. Right. And now most of the people are employed in other types of work, bar the Irish steel is the only heavy industry left in the area. Mm-hmm. 
But tourism, you know, the town is naturally built for it, sitting on the side of Cork Harbour, and you've got sailing, windsurfing, angling, fishing, boat trips. You know, you've got something that no other place can offer right. in, by having the harbour here. And as well as, as that, we've got a, a very important development in having photo wildlife park, house and gardens within four miles of the town here. And, well, we've got other interests getting involved in tourism as well. You have pony trekking. He just fell down, that guy, sorry. It's yeah, well, <laughs> this is all part. This is the beginner's area here we're in, is it? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, he, in fact, this is his first day ever windsurfing that chap there. Is that right? Yeah. So he's bound to fall in a couple of times. In fact, he's doing quite well by keeping up on the board at all. Yeah. Some unemployed people have attempted to start their own business. One of these is Donica Spriggs. Well, I sold my time in the dockyard as a joiner, and... Um, I did uh, jobs then, uh, built-in furniture and such, and I decided to open up the DIY in Lynch's Key. Um, I started small with a, a small saw and... Uh, That's that, that small saw we see there as yeah. a chain. Yeah, and um, got in the stock mm-hmm. and started from there. I've now bought a panel saw. Mm-hmm. That's this very big machine That's here, is it? That looks very expensive, is it? Well, it's fairly costly, uh, but I... What I made, I put back into the business to make it go, you know. Mm-hmm. And wait, oh, can I ask you how the business is going for you now? I'm quite happy with it, you yeah. know. I'm mm-hmm. taking over all the time, right. you know. What are you making here, cabinets, is it? That's uh, a cabinet, yeah, as part of a, a kitchen. Mm-hmm. There are other wall units there as well. Right. So when you were made redundant from the dockyard, did you invest your redundancy money in this? Yeah, well, I was on the dole for a while, and I did a course with uh, Enco. And um, I put my redundancy money into this then, you know. Okay, McBarsley, well, you have a closing down sale in your record shop this afternoon. Um, can I ask you how long it's been open and what made you go into it? Well, um, I was on the dole, and it was an idea that I did come up with, you know. And, uh, well, it was a good idea at the time, but uh, now, as you can see, I'm closing down and have a, a sale. And I, I was been open for four months. Well, since November, it's. Uh, Are you going back on the door? Uh, I have to. <laughs> I've got no other choice, really. What do you think you'll do then? Um, I don't really know. I've been quite honest, you know. Well, opening this business here, um, can I ask you? Did you lose much money on it? Well, I did. I lost a fair bit of money, like you know, because, I mean. Christmas was good, and after Christmas then, you know, well, as you know, there's no work, there's no jobs or anything in, in the town, you know, and there's, there's no money around. What's that machine doing now? Uh, well, I'm turning a piece of 40mm uh, diameter down to 38 diameter. I shall then uh, cut it off to the required length right. for various components on the winch. And in a workshop on Atlantic Quay, Pat Murphy has recently opened his own enterprise, Cove Sea Winches. Uh, well, I was made redundant in '81, and uh, from where? Maritime Boatyard, a very good trawler yard. They produce the best boats in That's the one just beyond Verome. Yes, but unfortunately, it is no more. But uh, whilst working there, uh, I learned a lot about running machine shop uh, and when I lost my job I decided to carry on with my own equipment but after about 
a year and a half to two years, I found I couldn't make a living out of full-time just machining, uh, in-machine work. So I decided I'd have to try and get something that I could produce. So I discovered there was a demand for small deck machinery for the smaller trawlers. Mm-hmm. In other words, my marketers were uh, like three-quarter ton winches, pot haulers, uh, net drums, etc. Uh, mostly for people that have nice boats, say from 25 feet to 40 feet, who have never had a winch before, plus hydraulic systems, mm-hmm. which I also can install. Frank Sadersky worked in Verome Dockyard for 15 years as a turner and later a model maker. He has invested his redundancy money in a workshop for the making of musical instruments. This, this instrument, like I call it, uh, well, I call it a mandalika mm-hmm. because it is like, it's tuned, it's tuned as a, a mandolin and uh, it has the uh, four double strings yes. as in a mandolin. It's a, it's a very unusual shape, isn't it? A very distinctive uh, triangular yeah. shape. But, uh, but the shape is, the body is a balalaika body, which is a Russian folk instrument and it has only three strings mm-hmm. and... Uh, this is a four-stringed instrument, though, isn't it, that, yes. you, that you have here? So you're saying a, a mandolin player would be able to play one of the instruments that yes. you're making here, that's yes. how you've designed it? Yes, any mandolin player, a ukulele player, anybody that plays mm-hmm. a, a fretted instrument yes. in this country that is up to a bouzouki, even, like, can play this. Uh, I'm taking that um, the musician here, you know, will like the instrument. Yes. We like the tone of it. Yeah. Um, and selling at eighty pounds, you know, that would be competitive. That um, it, it would be very difficult to buy an instrument like that for the same well, price. Uh, say without importing it at the moment. Well, I think so. Like because uh, eighty pounds for a uh, handmade instrument and good quality, like uh, I don't think I think that is very very good value for. An unemployed couple, she a school teacher and he a dockyard worker, have bought a shop. Well, you know it is a bit. Depressing, actually, you know, hanging around the town. There's so many people around, unemployed. You know, it's so destroying, really. You know, walking around the town, and you're drawing your door. And so, when did you decide to um, to go into opening up a business, which is what you're doing now? Well, the, the premises came, you know, up for sale. You know, and uh, I've been thinking about it, you know, for a while, even before we, we did finish up. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of going into some line, you know, on my own. So. Uh, and uh, with, say, less money about the town uh, now as red- redundancy money is being spent and people are going on to the cheaper rates of welfare, are you worried at all that there'll be less money to be spent in shops? Certainly, Paddy. For over 20 years, we had a wage packet come in every week and now suddenly we were in the position that we had to think of something ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, when we think of risk or talk of risk as such, I think going into a grocery business the risks aren't as great as if we were going into, we'll say, selling luxury items mm-hmm. or something in that line. OK, Michael, not every business venture works and um, you lost some money in a business venture. Can you tell me about that? Um, well, I lost uh, approximately £1,300 on a business venture that I went in with a, another local lad here. Now, the market research for it and, and the um, feasibility studies were done by myself and uh, the other uh, partner involved. But uh, unfortunately, after approximately eight months, the, the market just fell apart. Mm. What kind of business was it? Um, it was um, travel goods and uh, plastics. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the market was... Um, well, actually, it, it's flooded by a cheaper import. You can get cheaper Italian and um, Spanish goods here in Ireland. And there was no way 
that we could compete either in quality, in time, or most uh, specifically in price. Okay, you've been laid off from the dockyard, which means you've lost your weekly wage. You're um, you've gone into a business venture and you've lost money on that. I mean, you're facing towards the cheaper rate of PRSA. And I mean, what do you think you're going to do from here? Um, well, basically, I'm a, I'm an optimist. Um, I would I would honestly hope to see uh, the engineering field picking up in in the Cork area. Um, there are a number of uh, projects in the pipeline. Um, the inner city projects that are taking off at the moment. Um, there must be a spin-off um, in the industrial field, in the heavy engineering field, and also with the, with the amount of heavy engineering facilities that's lying available and idle in Cork. Um, I'd be quite optimistic that uh, quite possibly we won't see anything on the scale of Verome or Dunlops or Fords again, but I could see um, a, an upsurge uh, within, hopefully within 12 months, that would um, alleviate the situation that exists here. I hope you're right. So do I. <laughs>